I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And this man, such a force in the wrestling business that it's just two words were the promotional arm for the boys back in the day, and that was After Mags. This is Mr. Bill After. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, I'm thrilled to finally be here. And as you know, I told you before we came on here for weeks that I'm a master of doing these recordings. And it took me an hour and a half to get my computer all booted up for this. But I'm very glad to to be here and talk with you about uh, my my whole career. And I'm still active. You were talking about the 70s and the 80s. Willie is still here. Hey, Bill. You were still here. I remember when I was just a young puppy, and you were not such a young puppy, but you were still a, a neophyte and a business. To, years ago in West Palm Beach, I think, where I first met you. And uh, I know uh, my brother had a lot of influence on you and you helping you become the after MAGA. We'll get into that a little bit. But, you know, take it to some of these pre uh, Madison Square Garden dates. How did you actually? get involved and see the world of professional wrestling for the first time and decide this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and become an icon and become somebody that wasted an hour and a half of JBL and I's time trying to get at least an hour and a half, but it was quality. It was quality waste of time. It wasn't just waste of time. It was quality. It was entertaining. You mentioned that you and I first met in West Palm Beach, and when my parents were alive, they lived in Century Village down there. And my dad would go to the matches every Monday night in West Palm Beach. And when he moved from New York, he and my mom moved from New York to West Palm, Eddie Graham told my dad, I can't hire you to do anything, but sit at the timekeeper's table, wear a suit and a loud pair of pants and some white shoes, and you're the commissioner. What the heck? 
So my dad did that every, and all you guys were so wonderful to him. But going back now, you want to know my first taste of pro wrestling was back probably in the early 60s, mid 60s. Uh, I was channel turning one night on real TV, not on streaming anything. And I saw this guy named uh, from New York, but these shows were from uh, another city. Uh, I saw this guy named Dick the Bruiser talking to an announcer, a guy named Lord Layton, who was dressed so beautifully and a typical British gentleman. And they had an argument and Dick the Bruiser tore Layton's jacket off and tore his shirt off and beat him up. And I went like, what is this? So a few days later, and this is in my book, is wrestling fixed? What's the answer? I didn't know it was broken. Thank you. Thank you. So this is in my book. Every few did, days. Did you fix it or did you break it? Uh, that's later on. We have a lot of time to do this. What okay, book is that, Bill? So, so now my brother was a, a wrestling fan, my older brother, and he used to set me up on the bed. He'd go, move a little to the left. No, no, move a little to the right. And then he'd go, drop kick. And he drop kicked me and it killed me like every night. And then I started seeing him watching wrestling. And I saw Antonino Rocca, the nature boy, Buddy Rogers, the real nature boy there, Pally. Uh, the amazing Zuma, Ricky Starr, Mark Lewin, and Don Kerr, and all these people. And the Bastine brothers, which were Red Bastine and Lou Klein. And I started watching this and it just it engulfed me. But that's not what I wanted to be. Since I was a kid, and even through today, when I do my one-man show, I always wanted to be a performer. I sing, and I do comedy, and I've always wanted to be a performer. So through this business, um, when I first met the uh, publisher of the magazines, he, he said to me, his Stanley Weston, he said to me, you want to be a performer? You can want to be on TV? I can get you to do that if you play your cards right. Just forget everything you hear anywhere. That was it. So, uh, least Stanley Wesson. Yeah. So that put the key in the ignition, really. I, I loved watching wrestling, but I also loved going out and entertaining at senior homes when I was a kid and stuff like that. And uh, I was one of the first people to be able to meld this into a career where I could, uh, you know, at one point it was just, uh, that's Bill. He's the photographer. But, but then little by little, I like a wrestler, you start showing a little bit more of yourself and people, thank goodness, took interest. But that was it was Jerry to directly answer your question, because she told me you have three. We have three days to tape. So I'm trying to draw the story out. <laughs> well, um, that Bill, Bill, the, other, the, other, the other day we do a, a show called The Best of the Best. We had uh, uh, Bruno San Martino versus Stan Hanton and, and a brutal cage match after after the, the broken neck. Yeah. And we had that match on. And, and in, in a ringside there, we noticed two young photographers there, and, and one of them resembled you, but you had a head full of that real bushy stuff up on. Like yeah, black hair, and now I have a head full of comb over. <laughs> yeah, me. you got it all messed up a while ago when you put your headset on. I photographed that match, of course, and also went to Pittsburgh to take pictures of Bruno in the hospital when Dr. Sivitries put him there. And uh, uh, Bruno, uh, Bruno was just, uh, I know I'm jumping around here, I'm sorry, but Bruno was such a great person to me. 
Uh, he, Colonel he, was a real champion. I mean, he he had that personality. Uh, he did. Did you have trouble getting in the the kayfabe walls back in those days? I'm going to tell you about that. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm going to tell you. About <laughs> interrupting, Jerry. Uh, sorry, really? I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm on Jerry. Come on. Um, first of all, Bruno, there was one thing that he could not do during his whole life. He could never pronounce Vince McMahon right. He'd always say, you know, this McMahon guy, this McMahon comes up. He always called him McMahon. And he said, this doggone McMahon would say to me, okay, so the breaking through of kayfabe. I thought that was it's very Yeah, I, you're talking to Gerald Briscoe here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, that was the same. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the team of Pat and Jerry in the 90s. Of course that, that yes, Mac, I did. That McMahon. That's <laughs> how you pronounced it. Well, Pat did too, didn't he? Yeah, everybody said it after a while. That's yeah, right. Pat, Pat used to go, "That McMahon guy, I'm telling you." Yeah, that's what you just mentioned. All right, so Bruno, breaking the case. Bruno, sorry to get you off subject here. Doggone it! You know this Briscoe guy. His brother was the champion, and they said Bruno can. Anyway, so let's get back to the kayfabe thing. When I was growing up, wrestling was real to me. It really was. I mean, it was presented in a different way. There were no quiz shows or entertainment in pro wrestling. There were no celebrities, really, except maybe Jersey Joe Walcott or uh, Muhammad Ali, you know, uh, maybe a boxer, but legit athletes, not entertainers. So um, uh, I was doing a radio show in New York. I was buying my own time. I was a big wrestling fan. And I got tickets to Sunnyside Garden in Queens, where I lived, to go to the matches. And this is long before the magazines. So I went down to, I got a uh, permission from the uh, promoter, Mike Rosenberg, Irish Mike Rosenberg. Uh, Irish Mike Rosenberg. Irish Mike Rosenberg to come down and, uh, and shoot the matches uh, and do interviews with the wrestlers for my radio show. So I went down to do that. And uh, it was very respectful. I always dressed in a sport jacket and tie when I started off, because I always knew that to be respected and accepted by people, you should look your part, whatever. You, and I had my microphone and everything. And I interviewed uh, Mike Pappas, Bill White, and Bruno Sammartino. And I told Bruno, I said, we have uh, a, a section in the show that was called Billy's Place where people can ask questions and a, a person want to know is wrestling Fake, fake, not fixed. And Bruno went on to tell me, he said, you know, I usually don't answer that question, but look at my cauliflower ear. And he went down all his injuries. And that's it. I said, I respect what you're doing. So little by little, I started going to Sunnyside and being accepted by the guys in the dressing room. One night, Lou Albano says to me, you know, you got to come to Philadelphia where we're taping. And I didn't know anything about any of the other promoters except the local guys. So I got to Philadelphia and same thing, suit and tie. And I, Lou Albano sends me into the dressing room and this guy comes out. Who the hell are you? What do you think you're doing? You're just a smart ass. It was a guy named Phil Zacco. I had never met him before. He was the Vince's promoter uh, in that area. And I told him, uh, he says, uh, I said, what are you doing here? I said, uh, well, I came down to do interviews. 
you don't do interviews with any of my wrestlers. You know anything about this business? I said, uh, no, sir. I'm just starting off. Who do you work for? And I said, Stanley Weston. And I didn't know that he and Weston had a major fallout a few months before that. You son of a, get the hell out of my building. Luckily, Lou Albano saved the day for me. Sacco did not let me shoot, but I got plenty of interviews. And I rarely ever went back there. <laughs> because he was so anti-magazine, when Bruno lost the title to superstar Billy Graham in Baltimore, that was another Zacco um, town. Vince Sr. took him out of that town that night so we could all go and shoot pictures. So that was the that was the first part of the kayfabe thing. Did you run into that quite a bit? Were they anti-magazine? Uh, some of the territories were because they, um, uh, they didn't want results printed in the magazines because they were doing the same matches in a lot of different towns. So I, I told them from what I knew of the magazines when I first started, I said, um, uh, we, we mainly do stories. You know, we don't do results. And, and they didn't. But little by little, uh, people like uh, Lou Albano, Blassie, and the Grand Wizard, who also mentored Paul Heyman, uh, would just tell me, you know, it's a good idea to be in Philadelphia on Wednesday night. They wouldn't tell me what was going on exactly. Uh, and then I remember when I started with the magazines, the Mr. Weston, the office was in his house and I worked in the basement where all the files and everything were. And this is the first time I was really smart. You were the first basement boy, huh? No, actually, I think he may have had one down there before me. <laughs> Rumors that they died. But, um, so he called me on the intercom. He said, Bill, come up here. Walked up two flights. I'm going to tell you something right now. And if you say anything to anyone, including your father, who goes to the matches with you, somebody's going to wind up breaking your legs. I went, he said, I just got a call from Willie Gilsenberg. Bruno's going to lose the belt tonight. Make sure you have lots of film. So when I went that night, I, of course, I didn't, I didn't tell my father. I didn't tell my father. I just said, shoot a lot of pictures. He had a little Kodak Instamatic. And I you made, still have those cameras, Bill. Of, hey, this is the this is what I shot Bruno and Cole off with. Oh, awesome! I've got all my props here. Yeah. I got everything, everything. Uh, and there's a thing in uh, where is it? It's a thing in here that no 20 year old ever saw before. Film. Yes, you're more than 20. <laughs> Good. So uh, Albano came over to me before the uh, uh, before the. Do match. any of those props do Zoom? What's that? <laughs> do any of those props do Zoom? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. No, it's the Microsoft webcam. Anyway, so Albano came over to me. He says, uh, you know, uh, my man Ivan Koloff after has been training. And uh, I did an interview with him. And what, what they appreciated, this was part of me getting into this, was that all my interviews were done in the storylines. And in uh, in character, there was no in character. This is what these guys were like. So when they changed the title that night, 22,000 fans at the Garden shocked. I never let on to anybody, including my father, as I mentioned, that I knew anything about this. So people started getting like, you know, hey, Bill is, you know, he, he knows when to walk out of the dressing room. 
He knows when to listen, et cetera. And then I, when I started going to the territories, uh, it was the same thing. I, I dressed professionally and they appreciated it. People, Ole, Ole Anderson, there's a guy coming from New York in a suit and tie to cover our freaking matches. You know, this is important. It's, I became the Jimmy Olsen face of the business. Yeah, I really did. I became the, the cup reporter that people, but the boys in the business, uh, it was very rare after my second or third year that they would hide something from me, but they would never just come over and say, I'm winning the title tonight. It was always that, you know, make sure you have a lot of film, uh, make sure you're at, uh, at the building. Eddie Graham would call Mr. Weston or call me and just say, make sure you have somebody uh, in Miami on Wednesday night. It's very important. So, yeah, that's how the kayfabe thing. How many major uh, magazines were there at the time? And were they national or were they regional? Oh, no, they were all national. Mr. Weston uh, was the first guy back in the uh, 60s, started the original wrestling review and he sold them. Uh, when I started working for him, he had The Wrestler and Inside Wrestling, which were these magazines like the National Enquirer. I ate his guts to get a match. You know, I sucked his blood to get a rapist invades the dressing room. You know, uh, when I, oh, yeah, started, I, I grew up reading them. You grew I, up I, reading I, apartment I remember you guy. writing into Pen Pal. <laughs> yeah, it was an apartment wrestling. You wrote those stories too. No, I girl. didn't. I'm going to tell you. I was John. I was John's favorite segment. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want to come back to that. I want to come okay. back to that because you I did, did, you know, you did the apartment wrestling. I got blamed for that. No, we'll go into that. We'll go into that. But uh, uh, but I told Mr. Weston that when I went into the dressing rooms uh, and gave the guys magazines, they they really didn't. He he did a This Is Your Life story on Mil Mascaris and one on uh, Bruno San Martino. When I first met Mil for the first time, he said, well, the story they read, the bullshit. He said, I, I, I did not grow up in an adobe hut. I grew up, my parents were professional. My sister's a dentist. And I'm going like, and then Bruno would say, in this 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 story Weston wrote about me, he, he was talking about the Nazi occupation of, of where I grew up, and that my sister grabbed a bayonet and killed a Nazi on the mountain. And he's and Bruno. So I went back and I told Mr. Weston this, and he says, "I'm stunned. I am totally shocked. That was a wonderful story." So I got I told Mr. Weston, "If we keep this up, I'm not going to be able to shoot the matches." The, Talent doesn't like this. So I did the very first shoot interview. Bruno Sammartino tells all in any of those Western magazines. He had 12 Western, 12 wrestling, and maybe four or five boxing magazines at the time. So I, that story, my shoot interview with Bruno got all over the place. And people were saying, hey, these magazines are getting, they still have the sensationalism, but they're getting very, Sports Illustrated like, and that's why Pro Wrestling Illustrated was created in 1979 to give the wrestling business their own version of Sports Illustrated. Wow! We never yeah. broke kayfabe. When you when you did your shoot interview with Bruno, when did that take place? Was that after they dropped a title or before he dropped a title? Or um, well, uh, 19 sometimes 71. 71. Yes. Yeah, when, when you when you covered the Garden that night, you knew. 
Did did the guys know that uh, Bruno was dropping the, the trial? I don't know. I never. I Wait, did you notice any difference backstage because no, you were freaking- nothing? I just Bruno wasn't walking around the hallway with Arnold Scholin like he used to come out. Like he would usually walk around uh, the back. Yeah, yeah. And I said to Arnie, I said to Arnie Scholin, "Where's Bruno?" He said, "Well, you know, he's got a big match tonight, and I just want to keep him out of everybody's way. That's it." And I just I went along with it. And that was it. Now, just to show you. I have a sample here. You remember what this is? Yeah, it's a cassette recorder. It's an old cassette recorder. Oh, that's I have, what I said. Bro. I have dozens and dozens of these, of the old interviews that I did with the guys. And I, I think I've sent you some I did with Jack right, Bristow. But just check out a minute of this. This was a, an interview with the Garden. Thank you. We're speaking here once So, see, this was stuff that I did, and a lot of them I transcribed, but I used a lot of them on my radio. I bought time, uh, as I mentioned, on WHBI 105.9, brought the first New York uh, 15-minute radio show into New York. And it was a five-minute show just called, not 15 minutes, five-minute show called Inside Wrestling. It was a compilation of highlights. I take two cassette recorders and... One do a voiceover and do this and put it all together. So, John, John, let me add this to after when when after showed up at the arena and wanted to interview you, you knew you were over. And my brother was so excited; he got the message from Eddie Graham that there was going to be an interview with Bill After, and uh, and Jack was excited as could be. I just started. How, out. how did that take place? And uh, tell us about that. Well, Eddie, how that wrote- affected you. Eddie brought Jack. I was barely known in the business, but uh, Eddie Graham and Mr. Weston were very close together. They really were. They're they're really good friends. And Eddie trusted Mr. Weston with anything he could write. Um, So we found out Eddie called Stanley Weston, said he's bringing this young kid named Jack Briscoe that we'd see on Florida TV on a UHF station in New York. So Mr. Weston said to me, Eddie's bringing this Jack. If you can get an interview with him, you got a full-time job, but you got to get the interview. So I went to the garden. I had met Eddie once or twice before. And I said, I told him exactly. So he called Jack out. Jack with that great, great deep voice he had. I, I loved listening to him. He gave me 15 to 20 minutes. And it was another Jack Briscoe tells it all. And I brought back the interview on tape that I still have. And uh, Mr. Weston said, all right, I'm going to hire you now five days a week, $25 a day. You'll be here eight to 10 hours a day filing pictures. And anything you see or anything you hear, you never saw and you never heard it. You get it? So it was already instilled in me that this business is to be in it 
you need to obey what everybody does. Listen. As much as I love to talk, listen. So, How many of these yeah. tapes uh, do you have now? Do you still well, have, you still have any, all these tapes, right? Yeah, I still have. WWE was interested in buying them, and they never followed up. But, yeah, I have, I, yeah, I have these all. And not just from, uh, from the garden. Uh, I have all the territories in here. Um, what name just like the top, say four, five, six, just pick a number uh, of guys you have that are hardest to get. Oh, well, of course I got all the managers from New York, but uh, Ric Flair and Roddy Piper talking to each other early in their uh, careers. Uh, one man, uh, not one man gang. Um, I'm trying to think uh, Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose. Um, uh, Al Costello from the Fabulous Kangaroos doing poetry for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are some. I mean, I just turned the tape over. I don't even know. And uh, come to California, or I believe there's going to be one in St. No, I don't want to hear that, lady. <laughs> anyway. When you when you saw Bruno after the, he, uh, his neck got broke, you know, Stan, Stan's told the story many times, and Bruno has too. You know, Bruno was incredibly gracious to Stan. You know, he could have blackballed him, but he instead he went just the other way. He helped Stan out. He made everybody know it was a mistake. When you saw him in the hospital, what was Bruno's demeanor then towards Stan? Oh, well, Bruno, he, Bruno kept a, you know, I can't wait to get revenge on him. So he was, he was, he was in a kayfabe type. Totally. Even though he knew I knew, so to say, we stayed. Uh, Dr. Sivitri's Bruno's doctor was uh in the room at that point and i didn't know what anybody knew i went as a reporter like i would be uh covering any sport i was the sports reporter of pro wrestling illustrated or of the wrestler or inside wrestling back then yeah no anytime i went to people's homes to do at home stories etc whenever i did interviews with any of the talent and i still do it I still do it. I still do a lot of it in character. I tell them before we get on Zoom, you know, I'm interviewing the character. You, they got an hour and a half to prepare when you tell them you're going to get on Zoom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if it wasn't for the hype, though, Mr. Briscoe, we'd have never had a problem with it. I know. And I mean, uh, you know, that was, you get a message. I said, you have an urgent message, urgent, breaking news. After's ready. I mean, you're one of those guys after. Now, when you say you're ready, we jump. We jump. Denver Thank jump. you. I'm 15 minutes early wherever I go. We jump. We jump. And well, you, you, you send me a text. Where's my link? I'm ready. So I, I immediately called John. John, he's ready. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ready? Yeah. Well, yeah. So we jump. An hour and a half later, we actually <laughs> got your smiling face on there. <laughs> uh, this well, by the way, Bill told us. You know, I do Zooms every day. I'm good. I do. I do. And I also use GoToMeeting. I use uh, StreamYard. Now, this is the camera, as I mentioned, <coughs> is a little $59 Minolta. And then Mr. Weston said, I got you something that fell off a truck. And wow. it was this. And this that was Nikon, your first fancy camera there? Yeah, this is the Nikon, my first uh, Nikon. that, And I, I, still, I still have it uh, that I... Took to every territory with me, everywhere. Bill, when did you and Al have time to work? Me and who? Al. Al Gore on the internet. 
<laughs> oh, Al Gore. Oh, yeah. that Al Gore. Yeah, oh, that, okay. Al Gore. <laughs> you know who the heck he's talking? Yeah, really. Definitely. Right over my promo. <laughs> so if you had hair, you would have got what it. What does Al Gore have to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> you've been, you've invented everything else in this business. No, so. no, no. I, 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 thought that, I, I thought that you were t- talking about some horror movie like Spangoolie or something. <laughs> Hey, when did you first first meet uh, Vince uh, McMahon Jr.? Unquestionably, I'm glad you asked that damn question. (laughs) Where is he? I had him here. Hold on. I've got him here. He's on Zoom, but we're just waiting for him. He's in in the waiting room. (laughs) This is John Layfield from Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. Mr. Briscoe and I have been around a long time. We've seen all kinds of trends. We've heard all kinds of hype. We heard about stance apparel about how cool and comfortable it is. The socks, the underwear, the shirts. We thought it was all hype. We are gladly mistaken. It is cool and comfortable, just like us. Founded in 2009, Stance Apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, t-shirts, and more. With a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity, Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel marvel bob marley the goonies star wars all kinds of wow pop culture to adorn this apparel that is cool and comfortable like mr briscoe and i the stance philosophy is that a perfect fit is more important than simply fitting in. That those who feel good, do good. Go see for yourself. Just head on over to stance.com and pick out whatever styles you like. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw and Stance, cool and comfortable. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com. I want to know when you first met Vince Jr. and what was his role with the company at the time. He doesn't have to tell you. Because <laughs> he started in uh, Cape Cod. Was that when he had the arenas? And he, he had the had Cape the, Cod Coliseum, yes. So when I first met... He had the Globetrotters coming in. He was a promoter of an arena. And then yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. start working with his dad. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, he was... Very few people know this. He worked for Top Rank, Bob Arum's company that promotes boxing and he was one of the main promoters of the evil Knievel snake canyon uh thing and i call, I call he, told, he told me that was his first bankruptcy 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> me and Michael, me and Michael Cole asked him one time. We go, we said, well, how was it? He goes, it was an artistic success. Artistic, <laughs> and he started laughing. He goes, "That means we lost our ass." <laughs> so he, uh, my my uh, first wife was uh, with me. We were down visiting my parents in West Palm, and I really wanted to see that thing. And it was on closed circuit. So I called him. Howard Finkel uh, gets picks the phone up. He was his first employee, and uh, he puts Vince on. He says, "What can I do for you, Bill?" And I said, well, I'd like to go see the uh, close. So you were on first name basis with Finkel back in those days? Vinny. Vinny. Okay. Vinny. Oh, but I didn't have a call. Did you call Bill, uh, Finkel? No. I No. Oh, what's that? Did you call Finkel? You said you called Finkel and they answered the phone. Yeah. Fink Howard was his first employee. I know that. Yeah. You worked your point. <laughs> you called Finkel. <laughs> no, no. He Well, he transferred me to Vince. Okay, so he was he was a receptionist then. Yeah, well, he did everything then. So uh, I said to Vince, my wife and I are down here in West Palm meeting, meeting uh, visiting my family. Uh, I wonder if I could get a couple of tickets to comps to the... To, are they selling tickets? Yes. Well, you can buy two of them. Take care, Bill. That was it. That was it. No frick, no comps. We went, we went, we went. That was the dumbest idea ever. I mean, he had no landing ramp. He had nothing. He was going to land like Wile E. Coyote. He tied himself to a rocket. And he's going to land on the other side somehow, what, in soft dirt? You talking about Vince or Evil Knievel? No, I'm talking about Evil Knievel. I think the world of Vince. I think the world of Evil Knievel, too. That guy had, you're talking about balls like grapefruit. Grapefruit, baby. Oh, yeah. buddy. I, I went to that event with Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, and my brother Jack and, and our wives. We all went over St. Petersburg at the Bayfront Center and attended that event. And no, we did not get comps. <laughs> did you call Howard? And you didn't deserve I, I did call Howard, though. But hey, you know, you hit, you hit on some bill that, that's been brought up. And I honestly, I don't know a whole lot about it, but John brought it up, the Cape Cod Arena events starting up there and promoting shows, not only wrestling shows, but he was promoting several Variety shows, right? And I, how, how involved was you in the Cape Cod Arena? I, I was not involved with him at all at that point. You he know. was very, uh, you know, I I talked to Vince Senior probably uh, twice a week by phone. Um, his wife Juanita always answered the phone. It wasn't Howard Finkel, <laughs> uh, and I, I would talk. My communication was through through Vince. Um, up until the point that Vince Jr. took over and decided that he was going to put out his own magazine and lock the rest of us uh, out, which was a business move. It was nothing personal. But I had very little communication with Jr. when he was at uh, uh, Cape Cod. Matter of fact, Howard Finkel, who was working for him uh, at that time. Employee. What's that? His first employee. Right. First so employee. Howard actually, first one? Okay. <laughs> So he, uh, that not, not two, not two, not two, one. Uh, I can't say two without, without the accent there. Uh, remind me to tell you the wrestling to Abdullah story later. Um, so, uh, when when did Vince Vince first come to New York to start working with Vince senior and what role was he in when he came? He went, well, he was backstage all the time with, uh, uh, he was, Young, young, I can't give you 
tell you. What year was still in college, college boy. Well, probably when I started going into the garden in the early 70s or mid 70s, I was there in the early 70s. Uh, Vince, mid 70s, maybe I'd always saw, see him walking with his dad and uh, and Willie Gilsenberg, uh, who was his dad's uh, promoter there. Um, and it, it's funny because uh, once in a while I'd shoot a picture of him and he'd kind of give a look to me. And years later, when he took the reins and all that, he came right over to me one time and he said, I'd appreciate if you don't take pictures of me. The magazines that you guys do is for the talent, not for me. That was before he was doing his magazine. So he was a nice guy. A lot of people just called him Vinny. I always called him Vince. Uh, and he was very cordial to me. It wasn't. Uh, uh, I remember him calling me one time at the magazine office asking for uh, a picture I took of superstar Billy Graham with the belt when Graham had won the belt. And Mr. Wesson told me nobody gets any of the pictures. Once I shoot them, they're owned by the company. So I went to Mr. Wesson and told him, Vince, he said, he can't have it. So <laughs> I had to call Vince back and tell him, my boss, I can't part with the picture. It's property of the magazines. So I think little by little, it was those kind of things that unendeared him, if that's a word, uh, to uh, not being a big fan of the magazines. And he also didn't like, you know, the the style. He wanted to put out his own, like, real Sports Illustrated type of wrestling magazine long before we did Pro Wrestling Illustrated. How about the time you called uh, the office for looking for Howard Finkel, the first employee, and uh, wanted directions, and you got Vince. How did you hear that? <laughs> research. research on you, Bill. You're famous. Well, no, no. Vin, Vince answered the phone and put me on to Howard. No. <laughs> Howard did answer. And Vince picks up. He says, well, what can I help you with, Bill? And I said, well, I'm just looking. There's no internet. No internet. I wasn't even driving. I wanted to know how to get there. So I said, uh, I want to come down to one of the TV tapings. And, uh, you know, I wonder if you might be able to give me, you or Howard can give me directions. Howard is very busy, and I have one thing to say to you. What? Get a map. And he hung the phone up. No. And like, he hung up on you. <laughs> every office was like, is every you know, all the editors and everybody like, what did you do? Because they could hear him on the phone. It was it was one of these phones. It was a regular telephone. I'm like Carrot Top. I have a million props here. Um so yeah, that that at, at what point, Bill, did uh, the the dirt sheets start coming into the business? You know, you were writing something behind the veil, and then you had was where was the first first uh, dirt sheets, and when did they first start getting into? That's the a business? great question, and I wish I had the real answer to that. But I think I started seeing them; they were being sent to the office, and it was pre Dave Meltzer and pre uh, Wade Keller. Um, but they were Georgianne uh, Macropolis, Georgianne Orsi used to send us fan fan club bulletins for, she was the president of Bruno's fan club. So they, they weren't really kayfabe sheets. She just say a little bit more than you might have seen on TV or something like that. But, you know, I remember those all the way back to the, uh, to the early seventies when I started there, but the real dirt sheets, people, if they, people found out once in a while that I talked to Dave Meltzer, I would have been totally persona non grata there. Just yeah, the, forget the territories it. I worked in, you, you'd have been fired. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw guys reading The Observer in dressing rooms back in Bill Watts territories. And, you know, Bill Watts was a tough guy. And when he saw that, he pull it out of someone's hands and he just tear it to pieces. Yeah. What are you reading that crap for? Well, what, read what, what was your read after's crap. Bill, Bill, what was your take on, on the dirt sheets when they when they came out? I mean, how did you as as an accepted wrestling journalist at the time, how did you feel about what they were trying and their message that they were trying to I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It was against everything that I was taught not to do. You don't say this. You don't write about this. Yeah. But we figured it was newsletters. What what has he got? 5,000 subscribers when our magazines are being distributed all over the world at major distributors. So the basic fan wasn't seeing those at all. And what how fans, weird was this? I mean, I, I didn't know how prevalent it was because, you know, in the territories I work, you know, they're pretty much old school guys. They, they you know, Nobody, if they read them, they didn't sure didn't tell anybody about. Oh it. no, they hid them. I I saw them in a lot of a lot of guys' suitcases. You know, they'd open up their bag just to get whatever out, and I'd see. Oh, I, I don't doubt they did. I just you know, but I'm you know what I'm saying it wasn't accepted. Uh, yeah, you did. Boys. They weren't open, but John, I I, I you're 100 right. The guy guy just, but but also I remember. When you would see one, you'd read every damn word in it. Yeah, day. absolutely. Yeah, you'd want to know what oh, was yeah. going on. But you know what? And you all the that. guys that hated it, all the guys that hated it, they couldn't wait to see if their name was in it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Good or bad. They couldn't You're wait saying to see the I, I think I was actually with WWE the first time I ever saw one, and it was probably a catering or something like that. And this some I remember someone telling me I either uh uh Joe Scarpa or or George Steele tell me, you better put that thing away, you better not let anybody see you reading it. Wait, wait, wait. It was sitting on the table. Wait, Joe Scarpa was an Indian, he didn't speak English, and neither did George Steele. How did you how See, I'm protecting. I can understand that stuff. Hey, Fabe, I can understand that language. Oh, the Indian part. That Italian language. That Italian language. You just told Mr. Gerald Briscoe, who's in the Chickasaw Hall of Fame. He understood that. Indian. How do you understand him? Yep. So that's why I just said, no, I got it. The Indian part you get. George Steele, by the way, when I first met him, I was terrified when I was seeing him on TV. I was terrified to meet him first night at the garden. My dad and I go, and there he is down the hallway. And I said, I'm going to get an interview with him. So I go over to him and I'm fairly, I, nothing much scares me, but at this guy, I thought it would be very intimidating. And I said, excuse me, Mr. Steele, I'm Bill after I'm with inside wrestling magazine. I wonder if I could talk to you for a minute. Gives me a look. And he says, I just have to check in the sweetheart. I'll be right back. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> But anyway, uh, you mentioned George. Were you, uh, but no, were you the in a picture with uh, with uh, Jerry Lawler when they in the NWA uh, convention where it was Andre the Giant beat by a midget? Oh God! Oh my God! Yes, we need to talk about that. All right. So Jerry Lawler is one of my best friends in the whole world. Back then. Uh, we did not do a lot of coverage in the Memphis area. We didn't have a lot of photographers or correspondents back then. And uh, he sent us a set of pictures of him against Andre the Giant. 
and they were shot by a guy. I think his name was Sam Lowe. And I couldn't get Jerry on the phone just to find out what happened, et cetera. So I called a photographer and the photographer at that point, I'm pretty sure just said, Oh, it was a count out. Andre was thrown over the ropes. And so, okay. What I didn't know was we had eight to 10 editors at every editorial meeting on Fridays where we would come up with headlines that will sell the magazine. The publisher's business is selling the magazine. That's why we never put a lot of the preliminary guys on the cover that were very upset because they're not going to sell the magazine. So one of the editors came up with that thing because we considered Lawler next to Andre the Giant. He was a midget. How tall is Jerry Lawler? 5'11", 10. Okay, so a midget back then compared to Andre, who was 90 feet tall. Um, so the story comes out. Now, wait, let, it, let, let, let the people know what the headline was. Headline was, the night a midget defeated Andre the Giant. Now, Vince McMahon Sr. was his the Giant's agent. He promoted the Giant. We didn't know this. We didn't know this. So now, you didn't know Andre worked for Vince Senior. Knew he worked for everybody. He was in every territory. I didn't know who quote unquote owned his bookings, etc. No, not back then. <laughs> so now, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Oh, Terry Funk calls me, and he says, "After you're in big shit." I said, "What happened?" He says. I'm at the, the NWA meeting and they called Lawler on the cop carpet about this damn uh, story you wrote about Andre losing a match. He said, man, your, your name, you're going to get shit. So I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> so now I hear that rumors from some of the guys that were at the NWA convention. Uh, and I speak to Lawler and he said, they called him on that story. And he said, it was me. I said, it wasn't me. It was either you or Sam Lowe, your photographer. So Jerry and I didn't talk for almost two years after that. We were upset at each other that the other said it was the other person taking the blame. So uh, Vince McMahon calls me, senior, and he says, Who's the son of a bitch that, get, and he, you know, he's you rarely talk that way. Who's the son of a bitch that gave you that story? And I said, it was the photographer for Lawler who sent us the pictures. This is what I remember, by the way. Um, so he was very angry. He said, he's going to take away my press credentials. He never liked Stanley Weston, my boss. And I said, wait, 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 we can fix this. We can fix this. Can you give me one day? To fix this, this is something very unfortunate. He says, son of a bitch, don't you know that Andre's undefeated? I'm not going to let him be, be be beaten by, especially somebody like him, Lawler. I'm terrified now. I'm absolutely terrified because I think this is the end of my job. This is the end of my career. How many years were you in at that time? When was, when was Lawler in Memphis? I'm not, no, he was always there. When was Andre in Memphis? I don't know, maybe five, six years, maybe. Jerry, every week I'd get a package from him, pictures and drawings, always great stuff, great pictures. The empty, empty arena match with he and Terry Funk. 
Uh, so now, but people understand. I mean, take off for a minute there, Bill. But people understand. No, I want to go back to the to the the resolution to this. But go ahead. Sure. People understand this was great promotion by Jerry Lawler because people didn't have you didn't have national television. Oh yeah. People just, people just looked into the magazines, right? And so this was brilliant. Oh, we loved that. Lawler we knew that to get his name out there. I'm just we, saying this for we, people that are watching. Yeah, yeah. No, we wished that we had 100 Jerry Lawlers that were doing that. Save the budget on photography, number one. And number two, great pictures. So I went into Mr. Weston and he said, well, that's too bad. He doesn't run our magazines. I said, this is the end. We're going to keep publishing. I said, this is the end. So I suggested something. And he looked at me and he said, all right, go ahead and do it. But don't let them know it was that easy to convince me. So the next month on that magazine, Andre the Giant, pro wrestling's only undefeated superstar. Was just, and that Vince was, Vince Sr. was very gracious, called me and uh, said, uh, I appreciate you doing that. And, you know, he says, do me a favor. When people do things, he said, don't trust anybody in this business, including me. That's what he said to me. I never forgot that. I never forgot that. How much power do you think you had during that time? Because, I mean, you're talking about Jerry Lawler sending in pictures, and that's how you got out. Very, very similar to what was happening, uh, say, in Japan in the late 80s, 90s, you know, with the okay. magazines. Gone I mean, that's mag how guys got over Yeah, was, was magazines. I mean, you were pretty much – uh, for national star makers, for guys outside of the territory they were in, right? Yeah, but keep in mind that I became the face of the magazines because I was the guy on the road. There was an editor above me. There was a publisher above me. And they were six or ten guys, all equal to what I was doing, working, writing the stories, processing the photos, doing the photo library. But I became the face because, uh, again, I played by the rules and people said, well, this guy looks like a gentleman. We can put him on our TV. He can speak. Didn't know what my real voice was, you know. So uh, um, what was the question? <laughs> you were saying basically you're a kingmaker. You're a star. Yeah, we, we did because a lot of guys would come and thank me for uh, for putting them in the magazines without them even uh, – without them even asking. And there were a few guys uh, who just thought it would be uh, funny not to be in the magazines. They didn't really care. Um, but for the most part, uh, most people were very gracious and wanted to be in the magazines. And if they knew that their local promoter or someone like an Eddie Graham or a Jim Crockett endorsed me, they were very cooperative. And it's very similar uh, in Japan. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those um, those magazines were what people would look at the fans would get, and that's what built and created stars were magazines, much more so than television. Oh, sure, I had one of them on my desk here. That's what I'm. I'm not ignoring you here. I'm just looking. Oh, here, this is my favorite Japanese magazine of all time. This was a special they did on Mule Mascaras, and the, look at the quality, the the glossy quality, and all their weekly magazines. Looked like this. I mean, the, the, the photos, the. Oh, their magazines the were amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there's only, I think, one of them uh, 
around. I was very close friends with uh, Wally Yamaguchi, and I got to go on several tours of uh, Japan thanks to the Funks and Baba. Enoki brought George Napolitano over, so Baba got the uh, got the other guy. Baba brought me over. So uh, had a lot of fun on those trips there. Uh, there's a story that's in my book uh, about the uh, name of your book. Oh, is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it was broke. You know, I was just in the middle of reading this thing here. Anyway, um, it's all about marketing, guys. We you sold a ton that. of Brian Blair's books, and he didn't give us a dime. I, we know we know you'll send us some rolls. And not even a free book. No, not even, even a free book. Brian Blair didn't give us a free to book. To be honest with and you, we, this is my copy. I have to buy them from ECW Press. I will send you books gladly. There you go. Listen gladly. to that, John. Listen, you, you, you people heard it. You're a good man, Bill. Well, thank you. So the the I appreciate that. Um, oh, by the way, this is sitting on my desk. And Jerry Briscoe, I have your old phone number here. I maintain my old Rolodex. Wow. Here, and I've got numbers in here. Like, what is my old phone number? Look at no, no, no. This isn't the, your old phone number. This is is Al Costello. Al Costello. Yeah. Look, Let me see number. if I here it is. Here it is, Jerry Jerry Briscoe. I still live there. You just gave out his address. You just gave out my address. I didn't think you lived there anymore. <laughs> you can edit that out. Uh, I think I'm the only guy in the world who's lived in the same house for 45 years. Man. Yeah, but look now. You got top billing. Jack's number is scribbled down here. Yeah, that one number is it's body shop. Or, oh, that was 879-4421. You got that one on there? Probably. Probably. Yeah. My goodness. Mike Graham's phone number here. There's a lot of lot of uh lot of good okay. memories. territory, territory, Bill. What was your favorite territory besides Florida? I know you love Florida because you had connections here, your parents right? Oh that Tokyo. Tokyo. No, okay. no, no. Tokyo Bill. No, no. My my other you, you favorite... got your Rebus jacket too, don't you? Actually, this is because it's freezing down here in Aptor's Alley. It's in the basement of my house. This is actually a uh, Hard Rock Cafe Tokyo jacket. I had to buy that when I was there. The night Baba took us all to a, a steakhouse. But no, the other territory was uh, the prime days of Jim Crockett promotions. I absolutely, Maganum TA, uh, Nikita Koloff, the Road Warriors, Ric Flair, Ronnie Garvin. Uh, oh, I mean, that whole crew and i love traveling with those guys like i did with the florida territory the best florida ride i ever had territories was for two days i rode in the car with your brother jack uh harley race you remember that yeah yeah harley <laughs> race I'm Bob, harley race your brother uh jack briscoe harley race nikolai volkoff and wendy richter wow i rode for two days with them to was you it survived a bus? That. You survived that for two days, Bob. Oh, it was great, though. Was it a bus? How big was the car? You no, it was a car. It was a, it, was a, it was a station wagon. All everybody wanted to do was tickle Wendy Richter's feet. It was terrible. Bill, what, what was the fault during that time? You're like for with Crockett and these different uh, regional territories at the time. What was the fault, like leading up to, say, WrestleMania, about Vince McMahon Jr. and what was going on with the business? Oh, well, see, that's very easy. Vince Sr. had told me at uh, at an NWA convention 
uh, that to talk to his son, they're not going to lock us out magazines, right? Ole Anderson would come over to my table and say, you're going to believe that bullshit? So Ole was the first person that kind of told me, he says, not only are they locking your ass out, they're going to try and lock every freaking territory out. That's the first I heard of any of the, I mean, that's what your question was, right? About one. Thing. Yeah. What was the faults uh, I mean, the territories and what was the feeling in the territory? Well, Jimmy Crockett's territory was very healthy at that point. And Jimmy with Dusty in the office there felt very strongly that they could compete, you know, with whatever Vince is going to do. And, th- and they did, you know, Starcade came before WrestleMania. So, uh, the other territories when I was there, Bill Watts would call me into his office and ask, you know, what are they doing up there? What do you think Junior's going to do? Fritz von Erich asked me that. Um, a lot of the promoters were uh, uh, Jarrett and Lawler. They were all very concerned that Vince was going to uh, uh, try and take everything over. So there was an air of maybe they should all try and get together. And, but I always knew that Jim Crockett even though he agreed to do that whole pro wrestling USA thing and everything, I always knew that he was going to break out and try and uh, match what Vince was doing, that he wasn't going to let Vince do what he was doing. They were all concerned about it because, you know, what Vince was doing was getting the best of their, make trying to make deals with the best of their talent. And again, it was a, it was a, a brutal business move, but, uh, yeah. When, when he started that raid, I think that kind of, yeah, that was even before, you know, Jack and I sat down with him when he started the, the talent raid. And that's kind of precipitated what we did. But he started that talent raid, you know, with Hogan out in the AWA there. Then then, then our, our kind of tipping point was when he got Roddy Piper. Oh, yes. Yeah. Piper was such a star. I mean, you know, the, the Flares, you can name all those guys, you know, all those guys that we had that were gigantic. But Piper stars. was special. There was something. Piper different. was special, and yeah. Piper was everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. he's Florida, Mid Atlantic, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And and when 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 Vance Jr. signed Hot Rod, Jack and I kind of looked at each other because Hot Rod came to us and told us what he was doing. And so we we had time to really digest what was going on with Hot Rod. Well, and we we just knew when when Hot Rod left left the NWA that was that was that was a tipping point for Jack and I. Well, I'm going to bring something up about that that I showed you yesterday. Um, I have a book. I have a big book here that's never been published of hundreds of wrestlers giving me the finger, and even Mike Tyson. It's it's my finger book. Uh, here, let me your finger book. Jerry, you should know where I'm going with this. I do. But, but for example, there's the Road Warriors. There's Gordon Soli and I doing Lords of the Ring and Ricky Steamboat <laughs> giving me the finger. So Giving me the finger, wow. Oh, I got pictures of everybody giving me the finger. It's a fun book to make. One day I might publish it. I, might, I think wrestle fingers. I think people would get a kick out of it. So the only thing remaining when I used to talk to Oli a lot, I got along great with Oli because I found out that if you were Don Rickles back to Oli, Oli would like you. You had to be sarcastic back to him. So he used to say, well, the freaking, you know, I don't know what the Briscoes are going to do and all this. And I just joke around with Jack and I'd say, you guys going to sell your interest in Georgia championship wrestling to a, oh no, we'd never do that. 
So I got this great picture that I sent to Jerry yesterday. I hope you can see this. The caption is, Jack, no, we'll never sell our interest in Georgia. And there's Jerry going, right. And <laughs> one of my prime favorite finger pictures. But that was, green, that was green Saturday. There are only, yes, yeah. only two but people I, considered it green Saturday, but it was uh, green Saturday. But what I thought, what I thought is the way the business used to be, if it was maybe 10 years before that, and I'm going to say this because this is what people have told me, that Vince Jr. would have had his legs broken uh, if he tried I, I, something I, like that. Uh, you know, there were threats at that time to, to do away with Vince and Jack and I. Yeah. All three of us had had those phone calls, you know. You oh, I didn't you. know about you and Jack. I knew. Yeah, I knew Jack that. and I, yeah. And Paul Jones. You, you had a bounty actually put on you in the ring, and they said there was also a hit yeah. on you and Jack, too. You right? had Road Warriors. At Road Warriors, uh, uh, Joe took took Jack and I to, uh, behind a curtain at old Cleveland Auditorium there and told us that you know, they be careful who we're working with. Because they'd put put anybody that hurt us would get get a bounty for us for it, you know. And 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 Joe said they were offered the, the bounty, and they said, "Hey, those guys are our friends. They've helped us get over the war. We're, we're not doing anything to them." But Joe just warned me and Jack, you know, be careful who you work with. So how it much was, was the, how much was the bounty? I think five grand, something like that, five thousand. And and who put it on? I believe it was Oli. <laughs> I believe it. Hearsay was only, you know. They were, so, they were so anxious they even would take credit card. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, but uh, yeah, there, there wasn't too many guys lined up there. And so, but um, yeah, it was in Vince told, told me the story. It was in, I think, Vegas taking a leak in, in, in the urinal there. And uh, and they heard these guys talking, you know, at, at Vince Jr., you know, he better watch where he steps. You know. Yeah. You know, he I've heard that it. too. And well, you know, it was uh, pretty pretty hairy time. But you, what 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 was your what was your inside feeling on that, Bill? I mean, well, it was it was well, a Vince change. Senior. It was a really change of the 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 pattern of the industry at that time. Yeah, but from Vince Senior, we all felt in in the magazine crew and a lot of the wrestlers that I was friendly with that Vince Senior was not going to let this happen because he was such good friends with Eddie Graham and all these other people. Uh, but that, as you know, that didn't happen. Uh, well, Eddie, uh, Graham, Eddie Graham came to us and, yeah. uh, and asked us, but this was after the fact, because it was such a good job of keeping it. I mean, this deal was made about six weeks before we ever did the, did, mm -hmm. did yeah. the deal. And yeah. we were able to keep it under wraps for that long, you know. But Eddie, Eddie, when Eddie found out, he he made the phone call to Jack, to Jack, or not to me, but to Jack, and told Jack what a mistake he was making and all that stuff, you know. And and, and told Jack that basically, uh, you know, he wasn't welcome around anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it again, really? they all so Eddie Graham, who was good, such good friends with Jack, told you told who him created him. Jack Briscoe, basically. He and he said he wasn't welcome anymore after that. He wasn't welcome in the NWA anymore. Yeah, you know? there was no NWA. Yeah, you know? yeah, because he was going to the competition. Pardon? He was going to the he was going to yeah, the people yeah, that were trying yeah, to directly yeah. hurt Eddie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Eddie at that time, Eddie in Florida just about dried up because Dusty was gone. We had left a year before, and then 
about a year after we left, Dusty left. So the territory was, you know, nobody was coming here because, you know, Jack and I were gone and Dusty was gone. And so really this territory, there wasn't a lot of people coming in here. So Eddie, Eddie felt really hurt about the deal. And Jack explained to him that we went to the Murnix, we went to Crockett, we went to a lot of watch, we went to a lot of different people making the same offer that that Vince, Vince made us, you know. So it was kind of a, one of those deals where you had to do. You know, I had to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, Bill, what, wasn't, Bill, wasn't it going to happen anyway? I mean, you had USA Network that Blanchard's had before down in San Antonio, before Vince had it. You had TBS that was being created that was run by either Crockett and Vince and yeah. WCW. You had ESPN by, with Vern had. I mean, once you had a national – uh, networks, you were going to drive the territories anyway, weren't you? If you hadn't been Vince, it'd been somebody else. I think I think you're exactly right. I think I think we were on the road to, to drying up then, as as you said earlier in this conference. Crockett's were really the only one that was really busting at the seams during that era, uh, that time frame. There. Absolutely. And uh, he was. I mean, we were we were we were busting loose there because of the talent talent that he had there. But once again, Sarge left. That left a big void, and then Piper left, and that left you know the gigantic void, and that was time to to really reconsider our direction. Yeah, but remember, remember, these other guys had TV, but none of them had the uh, the looking forward visions that McMahon Jr. had. Nobody had that, and that that was that was what that was the frustration part of Jack and I, because we could kind of feel because I would, I would, I was doing promotions, you know, in, in Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia. And I was getting a TBS book every week that had the breakdown of cables. And, you know, they, they when they pass it out, you know, they got, Hey man, we got a million new homes in Cleveland. You know, you'd automatically go to Cleveland and you start looking for, for buildings sure. at the time. And so, you know, we, and we, man, if, if we can do this in Cleveland, look at all these other towns that TBS was hitting, you know, that, that we could go and, oh, no, we can't go there. Joe Blow's promoting there. We can't do that in his territory. You know, why not? You know, we got TV there. That's it. That's it. Vince, Vince McMahon Jr.'s whole thing was, well, why can't we go into Charlotte? Why can't we go into Atlanta? You know, what is it? There's no law. And we just felt filtered to where we where we couldn't make any growth at that time, and then that's what growing business is all about. And we, we knew that Vince would not only ha- he had that 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 vision, but he could fulfill that vision because he was in the media capital of the world. Yeah, he was at the media capital of the world, but he also had the drive that wasn't just wrestling related. All the other promoters that were on TV, it was all about wrestling. Vince knew Vince had more drive to get this thing out to a wider audience and not just make it bring in celebrities, bring in. He had this vision and the other guys didn't have that. They had wrestle vision. They didn't have vision of breaking out and making this into a a zillion dollar business. I remember back in uh, maybe the late nineties, Vince one night was talking for some reason about his ideas. And a lot of it was stuff he's done over the last 20 years. He had this idea in the nineties about different academies and different continents 
about growing different territories in different places and bringing in wrestlers from, from all over the world. And that's pretty much what happened. You know, when, when we went uh, over the top, we were way too early. You know, and, and you, you don't want to be, as Vince always says, you don't want to be ahead of the curve. You want to be slightly behind behind mm-hmm. it. And that was the mistake we made, but that was because he was so far ahead of everybody else. Yeah. You know, that that almost that really almost didn't work going over the top. You know, to, to cannibalize your own pay-per-view revenue, to bring it all online for recurring revenue, you know, he Vince figured it out. You know, Netflix figured it out, but it, it took a while. But for that to work, and for, for a little while, we're sitting there wondering if it was going to work. I don't think Vince had any doubt, but I think some of us did. Yeah, yeah. But he he had, as I mentioned, he had this far-reaching vision of what this is going to be like, and he he made it happen. You know, he how had, did he get Piper? I mean, they're not just Piper, but everybody, Jerry or or Bill, either one. You know, those guys were making a ton of money. They're big stars. Was it all about money? It was all about money. Absolutely. Guaranteed money. I mean, Piper was making a lot of money, but he didn't know if he'd make 20 grand this week and make $2,000 the following week or $200. That's how our business was. It was predicated on on the houses. And we couldn't sustain Madison Square Garden on Friday night, Philadelphia on Saturday night, Boston Gardens on Sunday night, you know, uh, LA, we couldn't, we couldn't, uh, we'd have Greensboro, which was a big payoff on Sunday night. Next night, we're in Greenville, South Carolina, or Fayetteville, North Carolina, where you're making 50 to $150. So that guaranteed money, hey, Rod, you come here, I'll make you, what's your biggest year? I'll make you that plus, you know, and it's sure. guaranteed. Sure. And, 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 and also, that guaranteed money, even though Vince didn't have guaranteed contracts, he was able to show you on paper those markets that he was running and the past history, what the guys were making. That's right. And that's then right. That's, that's what sold everybody. And that's also right. part of the sell was to a guy like Roddy Piper, who wanted to be on top of the world. You know, we're not just going to be doing wrestling. You're going to be known on MTV. We're trying to work some, you know, he, again, he's, he had other plans. Even, even then, you know, you're right. Roddy had, Roddy had aspirations to be an actor. Yep. I mean, even when I, when I first met him in 72 or 73, 74, somewhere in the 80s, I'm sorry, not 70, 80s, you know, uh, Roddy's, Roddy's dream was be L.A. and 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 the movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So that's, that's another thing that Vince offered these guys, you know, the exposure to Hollywood, exposure to that big money. But it was, it was, it was, everybody says it wasn't about the dollars because they were making the big, the Piper was probably the highest paid guy in the NWA at the time there. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was, John, he was on every major TV in the South and he was on Atlanta TV, which meant he was the main guy in, in the United States. He would. And so uh, when Vince said, Hey, man, I'll, I'll give you that plus, and, uh, you know, you, you can make on that what you make every week, your biggest week there, make it out every week here. Yep. And not only that, you know, it's another thing, for example, take another guy, perfect example of the promoters back in that day where, are you going to New York? Fine. Goodbye. We don't need you. We got other people. Look at Ganya had Hulk Hogan, who became the biggest megastar in the business. He had him there and he could have done a million things with him. But once he got the offer for with the whole New York thing, 
it was like, okay, you, we have other people here. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the, the whole mentality, nobody believed, uh, the other promoters didn't believe that Vince was really going to go and make what he did out of this business. But you had characters like Roddy Piper. Uh, Howard, uh, uh, Howard uh, 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 Bill, I think you're wrong there. I, I, because of my being inside of some of the promoters, they knew what Vince was going to do. They just didn't think Vince could maintain the oh, show. Oh, absolutely. Right, right. They right. knew they knew what he was going to do because he told everybody what the hell they were going to do. So, yeah, but don't, they, let, they don't let your main talent go. And he had, he had done cherry-picked every top talent across the United States, so he was preset to, to, to go in and, and draw big houses. And, and coming in with a new territory, a new set of opponents, to like say Minneapolis Hogan come in with a whole new set of opponents and what he had been feuding with, you know, it's a small place. So you got a small talent roster. Well, Vince had a gigantic talent roster where he could. So it, it was like seeing Hogan all over brand new again. Correct. Right? Correct. Same with Piper, you know, a whole new who casting a, a co-stars you know, with him there. So and now also to help Vince indirectly, all the talent that, these other promotions had, we've been doing promotion in the magazines for them for years. So when they came to New York, most of the fans that bought the magazines knew who these guys were already. And they couldn't wait to see them because they were only pictures in the past. So how much did it hurt you, Bill, uh, are, are your magazines when Vince pulled WWE out of the magazines? and oh, created yeah. Yes. Well, well um, immediately, immediately, People like Jim Crockett uh, and I, I were from the beginning when I first met him, we just became very good friends. And once that happened and he heard that it happened, he says, well, he said, I'm going to tell you something. You want to be on my TV every two weeks or every week? And he gave me a whole uh, segment, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Scouting Reports that I do with Flair and a lot of the other guys uh, to equalize the magazine that McMahon was putting out, we were getting free publicity for this. We we're covering his guys. Here's the way it hurt. We couldn't get into the arenas to shoot the matches. So what we'd have to do is get a photographer in the local area to buy a ticket somewhere. It's a public event, public event, right? And we're not selling posters in the magazines. We're not selling merchandise in the magazines to do with WWF or anything. We're covering it as it's news, okay? And as you know, if you're covering news, you can cover news. So we'd send photographers. Some of them would wrap their lens up in cellophane. And when the guard would say, hey, what's that? Oh, it's a sandwich. You know, I'm on a special diet or something. A lot, a lot of them go were right out in. of arenas, right? What's that? A lot of them were asked to leave arenas. So either that or leave the camera in security if they were caught with it. But most times our guys would buy a decent seat upstairs. And after the second or third match, they moved to where the uh, hard camera positions were. And they people didn't, you know, WWF at that point was not, you know, he must have been approved. With me, the few times I went after that, I never wanted to embarrass me or Vince McMahon or that company. So when I'd go, I would go. Somebody give me a ticket for the fourth or fifth row. And there was invariably someone from WWF coming over. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Fine. Nice to see you. Do you have a camera with you? No, I won't do that. And I gained their respect for never, never doing that. 
Well, well never, you didn't need to down here because uh, funny story, kayfabe. They were trying to kayfabe the, the photographer, Bill Otten. I love Bill. Oh, of course. Bill, I know Bill was one of these he's a bigger size guy, John. And Bill had an afro out to here, a big white guy with an afro out here. He would try to sneak in the arena like nobody can <laughs> with a little oh, yeah. camera. To, I'd have to Bill, come on down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that it hurt it didn't hurt us what we did. Well, a lot of fans were like shocked at what we did. We removed WWF World Championship from them. We just called them the WWF Championship. The NWA and the AWA were world championships. WWF was not. WWF was not. Paul Heyman used to scream at me and he'd say, You ECW is world champion. We just, but those, it was NWA and AWA that we put as world champions in the rankings. The rankings, by the way, um, was another very hot subject with the magazines because this is before the PWI 500. I go into a dressing room, bring in the magazines. And a guy like Ivan Putsky, who I liked, would come over. You got Chief J Strongbow ahead of me. I I won more matches than Strongbow. Bill, you know, I thought you were my friend. And they and then eventually, when we started the PWI 500, I couldn't bring a copy of that. I couldn't go anywhere. It was not. It wasn't the magazine company. It was you, actor, that's doing this. Somebody wrote a story that. I didn't see knocking somebody in an angle. What did you write this crap for? I didn't write that. Right. Sure. Okay. Right. So I took the brunt when apartment wrestling started. Now to get okay, into that. When apartment wrestling part. started. Chief J Strongbow was on one of our covers, Joe Scarpa. Uh, and I brought him a copy of the magazine. And in the little inset was a picture of the apartment wrestling. He said, do me a favor. Don't put me in these magazines with the, I can't bring these magazines home. This is pornography. I said, okay. So here's how that happened. We had a photographer in Los Angeles, Theo Errett. He was a brilliant photographer. He used to shoot all the Olympic uh, auditorium shows for us. All those great photos we had of all the matches, all the poses of Mascaris and Tolis and Rivera and all these people and Blassie with the, the razor on his teeth that all came from Theo. So one day Theo sent Mr. Weston a package of bikini clad girls wrestling in her apartment. Mr. Weston said, this is great. I said, for what? He said, we're going to put this in sports review wrestling. One of our not big titles. And let's see how it goes. So he does that. And I'm very much against this. I said, you can't do it. Well, then don't bring them the magazines. So I didn't bring them that title. I brought them Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Guys had them in their, in their suitcases. They had already bought them at the airports. What the, what the, what the, the Vince Sr. said, what are you, what are you guys? So Weston gets sales figures back after like two, three months. And it's sort, never saw sales like that before. We're not getting rid of this. <laughs> So Dan Shockett, who was our heel writer, and he was very much alive. People thought that uh, I wrote everything. Dan died of uh, probably when he was 26 years old of cancer. 
but he became the writer of the apartment wrestling things. He was the promoter, Dave Maul. And you would not believe the sex of mail that we got. Wrestling mail was like this. Apartment wrestling mail was like this. Huge. So until that finally died down and I kept hitting Mr. Weston for years about this thing, we finally, we finally were able to drop it. And I was so relieved. I shot it once in someone's apartment. Randy Gordon, who was the uh, New York State Athletic Commissioner, uh, before he did that, he had two girls who wanted to be in the magazine. We went up to his apartment and I shot it. People said, did you ever shoot it? I go, well, once, you know, but uh, I really didn't want it published. Didn't want it published, but uh, that sounds very much like the guy who shows up drunk and says, did you drink? I I had one beer. (laughs) (laughs) I shot apartment wrestling once. That's absolutely true. By the way, while we're in the middle of things, I'm just showing you things. This, Belt up there with my name on it. One of my fans years ago. You understand ago, that's title. That's the belts what keep up your pants, right? No, not if you see the way I walk around. Uh, but this title belt is made out of 400 Legos. One of the my daughter, when she was living in Queens, went to a craft fair and there was this guy who was making these belts. And she said, do you know my dad? And he says, oh, my God, I'm a big fan. Give me an address. And he sent me this belt that was made out of Legos. Isn't that cool? I just, cool. Like I said, I, I have a bunch of things on the, the what, What's your What's your most favorite uh, piece of memorabilia you have there? Oh, the Mask Mill Mascarous War when he de- debuted at Madison Square Garden. Huh? Hold on a minute. He gave it to me. Are we going to lose you after? No, you're not. Be another hour and a half before we see him again. <laughs> I never get lost. <coughs> Jerry, remember at the Royal Rumble at the Alamo Dome when uh, Mil Mascaris wouldn't allow himself to be thrown out over the top rope, but oh, he would yeah. throw himself over by mistake? <laughs> <laughs> by mistake. <laughs> you know, his real name is Mel Moskowitz. He's a Jewish kid from Long Island. Well, right, you yeah. see, I, I buy the gum, but the gum is not for the boys. I buy the look, gum. Is that your Mel Mascaris uh, uh, impersonation? Uh, we, we got a guy, John, that impersonates the world. Can you do Layfield? Uh, no, doesn't have an unusual voice. Uh, can you. you do Ron Simmons? No, he's only got one word. Uh, my, my best guys. My best Who's your best guy? Okay, Dusty. I Dusty, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. You're the star of the show. I should have asked you. Who no, you I'm play? not. Okay. Who do you like to do? On your one man show, Bill after a one man show. Who is that? Thank you very much. That's Andy a honky, Calvin. honky we still, tonky we still man. got to talk about him. Is that the honky tonky man? No, this is Andy Kaufman. Oh, Andy Kaufman. We're going to get to that. You gave me a talk list. I, I know. I know. I was building up to the main event. Yeah, well, no, no, he was your just, format you wrote for us. Yeah. And now, the, the now other th- wait, wait. The other thing I didn't give script, you. Bill. The other thing I didn't give you on that list that I forgot about was Cal. Cal Richie Parks made this for me. Jimmy Valiant one time called me. He said, Willie. Wonderful Willie, you're a pain in my buddy. Came up to the office and we wrestled in the office for this cardboard title called Cow that I invented. I invented this. Cow is championship office. I invented this. You're Bruce Prince. I invented this. Cow is championship office wrestling. All right. 
when the guys used to come up to have their pictures taken, they had to wrestle me. I have hours worth of videotapes that will never be that I'll show you guys eventually. So Reggie Parks. So you're like Lawler. You got yourself beat. Never wrestled ever. You're ever in. How did you know that? <laughs> I know. Diamond Dallas that. Page. Rob Van Dam did went up to the uh, a Xerox machine in uh, in our office and did a uh, moonsault on me uh, onto a chair on the Xerox machine. But Reggie Parks saw the cardboard cow belt and he said, "You, you're champ." We're gonna. So he made me this. Jimmy Valiant called me Wonderful Willie. So this is. So whenever somebody would come up to the office, they all and it became folklore because every time I went into another territory, people would say, you got that freaking belt with you? I said, yeah, but it's this isn't an office. It's a locker room. Got to be in an office. So I still am cow champion. I just wanted to let you know. You're still champion. Good. Still cow. Dan Severn so beat me once, once because his uh, his helper uh, uh, Phyllis Lee hit me over the head with a uh, bag of frozen bagels. Phyllis Lee, she was a girl down here in Florida. She wasn't a wrestler. She was with Dan Severn all the time. Okay. Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw are so proud to be associated and sponsored by BetterHelp.com. In fact, at BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash Bradshaw, we're going to give you an offer to get involved. Is there something preventing you from achieving your goals? Is something interfering with your happiness? Is there something that you need in your life to improve? BetterHelp will assist you, your needs, and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Connect in a safe and private online environment. It's that convenient. No need to go somewhere to an office. No need to wait in a room. You start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Again, without having to sit in a waiting room, going to an office, it's all done securely online. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise you need. Don't limit yourself to the counselors located near you. You suffer from depression, stress, anxiety, anger, family conflicts, sleeping. BetterHelp.com can be the answer. Anything you share is confidential, convenient, professional, affordable. Check out the testimonials posted on their site, betterhelp.com. In fact, so many people have used BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a healthier and happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash Bradshaw, join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bradshaw. 
Look, we're all adults here. I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? My family and friends that use nicotine, this is what I will recommend is the Lucy products. If you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code JBLGB, JBLGB at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer, warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code JBLGB. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. One of the big things that, uh, that we talk about a lot on here is the Andy Kaufman connection. I'm a New Yorker. It's Kaufman. Okay. One more time. Kaufman. Kaufman. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Andy story. Tell well, us about that's a big that part. Happen? That's a big part of my book. And you know, it's they they and mentioned what's the name of your book. Oh, I didn't think you you'd ask. Is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it broke. Oh, let me read a little of it while we're talking here. Here's me and Vince, by the way, on the cover. After he kicked you out of the building, you you put him on the cover. So the Andy Kaufman story. Andy used to come to uh, uh, get him out of here. Keep the camera. Uh, Andy used to come to the matches at the Garden periodically. And uh, he tried to talk to Vince Sr., several times about uh, letting him wrestle. And Vince was like, nice boy and all this, but he didn't want celebrities in, involved in pro wrestling. 
So one night I'm backstage and Andy comes over to me. I knew who he was. And uh, he, he said, he reads the magazines. So I said, what are you doing after the matches? And I said, I'm going back to my apartment in Queens. I was living with a, uh, a roommate, Susan Sexton, uh, Australian girl wrestler. She was my roommate. Uh, so he said, Andy says, how do you, how do you get to your apartment? Now here is the, the guys, a big star on TV, on the show Taxi, right? I said, they take the E-train to Union Turnpike, the subway. He said, can I go with you? Sure. So I'm down, I'm riding the subway with Andy Kaufman. People like, so we get up to my apartment and Suzanne always, she, she didn't want to talk wrestling all the time. So, and her, her big word, she was always with the F-bomb. So we walk in the apartment and says, oh, Bill, and oh, it's F and Andy Kaufman. How you doing? Fine. So we sit down on the couch and for an hour and a half, all he's talking about is Fred Blassie and Buddy Rogers. So she looks at him finally, gets sick of it. And she says, is that all you can talk about? I'm going in the bedroom, slams the door, puts her head, Briscoe headphones on, Ramones, gabba, gabba, hey, and gone for the night. So I said, listen, I said, this is after Jerry and I uh, hadn't talked for a long time because of the midget story. Um, so I said, Vince isn't going to let you do this, okay? I got a friend in Memphis who he and I had talked a week or two before, and we kind of patched things up. Uh, I got a friend in Memphis who's, they're way ahead of the game. They, they use like a Frankenstein monster and a wolfman and a cyclops. He says, well, when can we call him? I said, now. He looks at his watch. He says, it's two o'clock in the morning. I said, we're wrestling people. We're up all night. So I call Lawler and Jerry Lawler pauses for a minute. He says, you got Andy Kaufman in your roach infested apartment there in Queens? I said, yeah. And I put him on the phone. Hello, Mr. Lawler. And that put the key in the ignition. That's how it all started. After the whole thing blew over and the Letterman show happens, Mr. Weston still didn't want to put that story in the magazine. Maybe he can use it for a column. It's too much showbiz, right? So Lawler wants to come out to our office on Long Island. And I said, he was just on the David Letterman show last night. Everybody knows him. Have him take the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> Lola comes out to our office on the Long Island Railroad. That night, we go back to the city. One of our editors drove us to the city. And all he wanted to do, he wanted to meet Rodney Dangerfield. That's his hero. And we went to Dangerfield's. And that picture that you see everywhere of Jerry with Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, you and Andy Kaufman were great last night. You guys were terrific. What a team. Was that all set up? Andy, Jerry wouldn't. Uh, just said, oh, thank you. It's so nice to meet you. Jerry did not break kayfabe to him. So that that's the Andy Kaufman story. And it's listed uh, every few years when they do like uh, great moments in television history. That's always in the top 10 is the Letterman show that and I went to that show. I didn't know anything that was going to happen. You were at the show. Wow. I'm taking pictures. Yeah. You know, Bubba Dudley and Mick Foley were there, too. <laughs> Well, they were, no, no, yeah. no, no. We're joking. No, we, I, I was behind the camera. Bubba, Bubba and Mick were at the, the match where Jimmy jumped off the top of the cage. And Jerry and I have kind of extrapolated that to Bubba and Mick are everywhere. Every match in the garden they're at. You know? <laughs> That's right. I, I, by the way, I'm the only guy who can do an approved Bubba Ray Dudley imitation. Let's hear it. 
Well, you had to finish this story. So I didn't know that okay. this thing. I'm sorry. I didn't know. That, no, you no, I didn't know that this. Got a sequence that you got to go. It's a whole routine. No, no, no. <laughs> interrupt that routine. So the story follow, ends, follow Bill. No, no. <laughs> the story ends with me going up to Lawler's hotel room, uh, and he's in the room with with his wife Paula at that time. But somebody opened the door, and I look behind the door, and that's it's Andy Kaufman. That's that's when I knew what went on was already planned and what because I wasn't I wasn't really sure because there are guys in this business that want to hurt celebrities when they say something bad about the business. So did uh, Vince Sr. ever show any type of remorse for turning this down when it came became so big? Or, or do you just think that he didn't want any part of it anyway? Vince Sr. I don't think. No, I, I don't know what I do know that Lola told uh, Vince Jr. on an airplane one time, uh, and Vince said that was the one thing that got past him that he wishes he would have done. Yeah, because Andy oh. was insane. Now, what Bubba Ray would say about this, if you're telling me that that guy, that's Bubba Ray. Go ahead. You're trying <laughs> to tell me that this Andy Kaufman thing was, you're trying to tell me this? Don't bullshit me like, that's what he, that's, that's a little Bubba Ray. That was Bubba Ray. Here, that's really good, Bill. <laughs> you, got that's, that's you got any more? You got any more? Can you do Spike? No, he didn't have it on you. How about Devon? You do Spike? Do either of you do Spike? Do either of you do a wrestling invitation? I imitate a wrestling cowboy from Texas. <laughs> I remember when Dutch Mantel introduced me to him. You do Dusty Rhodes. Oh, Dusty, yeah. That's here, Dusty Rhodes. That's here the hard time. No, I don't. I don't do that. I, do I do okay, I, I, once again, I apologize. <laughs> no, it's a no apology necessary. <laughs> After all, I, did, I didn't kill wrestling. No, no, this is this is. <laughs> did you fix it or break it? Dusty. I'll fix my it. My favorite <laughs> Dusty. My favorite Dusty promo uh, was, oh, my little black baby, white baby, Chinese baby, if you will, booking down Broadway with the American dream and superstar Billy Graham. That's my favorite Dusty. Uh, now, one time I thought I was getting sick. I had to go to the doctor. I started understanding what Jimmy Snooker was talking about. You know something, brother? In the TV wonderland when you go and then you don't know. But it's beautiful, brother. No idea what he's talking about. That's good. How many more do you do? Now, what, now, can I, do either of you watch the current product at all? Of course we do. Okay. So I have here, I have here. What is JBL, it? you know about this, but I, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you, if you cover this now. The website that I'm working for is out of India. It's called Sportskeeda. I maintain a day job and my wrestling job. And Sportskeeda was good enough to hire me uh, several months ago. And one of the ideas they came up with was doing, this is after all the year-end awards are done by all the other companies and every website's doing it. They came up with a list of year-end awards for the fans and an elite panel of uh, people like Booker T, RVD, DDB, even guys with no initials, um, to talk about who they believe were the hottest 
people in these categories in 2021. Can I run a couple of these past you guys? Why not? It's your show. I know it's your show. <laughs> Are you going to do it as Dusty or Bubba? <laughs> I don't. I don't know who. I may do it as Geraldine Jones. Okay, do it as Geraldine Jones. You remember Geraldine Jones? Of course, Flip Wilson. We're going to try the wrestler of the year, but it's not killer, honey. I laugh whenever I do that. Uh, All right. So the male. I'm glad you do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or should I do it like Jerry Lewis? Yeah, I'll do Jerry Lewis. Oh, so we got like the guy wrestling person of the year. All right. So, all right. Male wrestler of the year. Let's see. Out of this field of five wrestlers who each of you would choose for the Sports Kita Awards. And again, these are unofficial because you're not, not on the Sports Kita panel. So the male wrestler of the year, here are the choices. Big E, Roman Reigns, Brian Danielson, CM Punk, or Kenny Omega? Got big, big E to make. I come out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. All right. JBL? Roman Reigns. Why? Because of the consistency, he's been he's just been the main of guy, main event guy every single week, and and I, I think to me the, the entire family uh, is just that it, it, is just an amazing. It's a very deep and rich storyline. Yeah, and I think they're fantastic. The Roman Dynasty. I am such I am such a huge fan of both the Usos and of Roman Reigns. I think that combination together is is just fantastic. So am I. And, and to be uh, fair, Bill. Yeah, I do watch WWE. I don't watch hardly anything else, and it's not because I don't choose. Uh, I don't want to watch it. I like gambling on sports, <laughs> so yeah, I watch a I lot of sports. So I know. I, I, I know there's only so much time to watch stuff, so I, I don't. I don't know the products for other wrestling companies very well. I got you. I, got, so I, I mean, I, no I, disrespect I, to those wrestling companies, but I, no, I, no, I, 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 I just don't watch. Them. Sure, they're watching, and they understand that. All right, so. Let's go to female wrestler of the year and what you know. Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair. These are all WWE. Hikaru Shida or Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Jerry? Bianca. Yeah, I'd go with Bianca as well. Uh, yeah. She came out of nowhere. She, why she's just totally different than, yeah. than all the other chicks. Yeah, she's an original. Yep, original. Uh, that that's what I like so much about uh, about her. That's what I like about Big E. You know, Big E is just man. He is an entertaining dude. Oh, he's he's absolutely. And, 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 and I got brag on Big E. He was a Florida State champion right here in Tampa, Florida. He used to come to my USA Wrestling Club and and help out and to always tell me he was going to be a WWE superstar when he was in high school. And yeah, he held, he held several state uh, powerlifting records. Yeah, in yeah. As well. and it was uh, the clean kind, too. The, the drug That's right. Uh, tested. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to best promo skills. Some impressive guys here. CM Punk, who you would have known what he could do when he was in WWE. Paul Heyman. MJF. Michael J. Friedman. I'm sorry, you can you can end a discussion of that second name. There is nobody else. Okay, so a lot of people would, were are voting for MJF, but uh, I don't know how familiar you two are with him. All right, like I said, so, you could end a discussion at number two. I don't care how good these other people are; they're they're nobody. Not Paul, Paul Heyman's game. Paul nobody. Heyman was a little 
curly-haired punk photographer that used to try and get in at ringside with Napolitano and me and Frank Amato, and he'd elbow us out of the sharpest elbows, even of Abdullah the Butcher. Sharpest well, he, elbows. he was a bully back then, even. He tried to power his way into what you guys had pioneered and established your home turf in. But he did. He did. He got in great Wizard, Albano and Blassie, and <coughs> he gave pictures to Vince <coughs> when he needed them. And he got in two more categories. I've, all, I've always been a Paul Heyman fan, even when he, was, when he did the Danger Zone back in there. What was that? Oh, World, World yeah. that was my, probably my one of my favorite carnations of of, of uh, Heyman. Yeah, he's been terrific, and he's and he's so good about doing a promo and putting over the opponent while putting his guy over more. It's just it's, it's not a, like a promo. It's coming so much from his heart. He he really is real art. Yeah, it's real. It's real. That's because of the. Uh, mentoring by Blassie, Wizard, and Albano, in my opinion. Good. I mean, really. All right, best uh, good guy of the year. Big E, Xavier Woods, Hangman Page, Liv Morgan, or Darby Allen. What was the first couple of names? Big E, Xavier Woods, Hangman Page, the current AEW world champion, Liv Morgan, who is one of the uh, uh, double WWE wrestlers, of course, and Darby Allen. I'll tell you a great story. I was down in Malawi. Only 9% of the country has electricity, and I'm working with kids in, in an area. There's no electricity. There's no running water. There's no nothing. And I don't speak much uh, Chewa, uh, and they didn't speak much English. And I'm trying to talk to these kids, and I'm not getting through very well. And finally, one of them asked me, says, you know Kofi? And I, yeah. said, wow. I said, Kofi Kingston? And another kid goes, New day. <laughs> For wow. that report, what a great was, story. I mean, those guys, you don't realize the, the how much they've impressed the entire world. You know, the, the, the new day to me, those guys are so freaking entertaining. People just love those guys. The best. So I'm going with Big E. All right. Last, last one I'm going to put uh, in front of you. Despicable bad guy of the year. Roman Reigns, Dr. Britt Baker, deep. DMD, MJF, Becky Lynch, or Charlotte Flair? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Uh, between uh, Now, to me, because I don't know the, the guys outside of WWE very much. Uh, so then it would be Charlotte between Flair, Roman Reigns, Charlotte Flair, Becky Roman Lynch, Reigns. and Charlotte. Yeah. Charlotte Flair, Roman Reigns, or Becky Lynch? The, so this would be the man against the man's daughter. And this is for what the most despicable most despicable bad person of the year. Well, that, that's TV character. That's not backstage character. So no TV. We're all this is all story driven. We're all TV there. That's it. <laughs> bad Bill, you you drive a hard. Yeah. That's it. All right, we'll skip. We'll, we'll skip this. That's where you get the big bucks. That's it. And that's by it. the way, Bill, you set me up with some of those sporkita uh, guys. Really nice guys. Aren't they wonderful? Uh, I, I got to meet one of them when I was in India working with the, the slum soccer and some other groups there working in some slums of uh, Mumbai and Delhi and yeah. really good guys. And they what are. they're doing, I think, is fantastic. They are. And I'm part of the uh, wrestling department. And just to plug that, if you fans want to vote after you watch this uh, show, just go to Google and put in Sports Kita Pro Wrestling Awards. It'll take you right to the uh, 
And how long does this contest last, Bill? Uh, I think until uh, late, uh, a little late in February. Okay. The winners will be uh, announced sometime in March. Great. Anything else you want to plug on on the Briscoe? Life? Well, well, of course, my book. Did I talk about that at all? What, what is the name of your book again? Uh, it, it's it's wrestling fixed. I didn't know it broke. Also, <laughs> you got it. Thank you. Also, there's Where can a terrific... you get that book, Bill? Uh, that book's been out for six years. I know, but where can you get it? I mean, do you go down to the Oh, you can get store? that. You go down you to the buy it at Barnes and Noble like store. Texas has got the Texas School Book Depository. One book. Oh, Texas please. School Book So I can you go to the Texas School Book Depository? Yeah, more than one book. Get that no, no. book. I, I remember where I was when President Kennedy was shot at, from that building. That yeah, brings but they got one book there. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's Texas School Book Depository. Am I correct, Bill? It is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the entire state of Texas has one school book. And that's one of the biggest tourist attractions in, in history. So where can we get uh, his wrestling uh, broke? Yeah. So you can get that at any Barnes & Noble store. Uh, or yeah, we're getting get someplace now. And there's also an audio version that I did for Audible where it's nine hours. I can't even, but I do all my voices. We got to listen to you talk for nine hours. I can't. No. But yeah, you're we do. Not, you're not doing days. the audio. Do you I do your Bubba impersonation? I do a lot of the imp impersonations, but. but nine hours to Bubba Dublin. No, Kika. <laughs> you trying to tell me? No. But uh, <laughs> that's the audio book is uh, if you're going on a long trip. And uh, you want to be entertained? It's entertaining. Now, we talk about magazines the whole time. This is a magazine that's published out of the United Kingdom. It's called Inside the Ropes. Uh, they're on issue number 17 right now. Is that, is that the one that took that other, other really classy magazine's place? What was the name? You no. Know. Wow Magazine? No, it was from the UK. Uh, Fighting Spirit? Fighting spirit. I really no. That didn't take its place, but it's another publication, and I'm the I'm a senior consultant on this. But it's a good old school. That's good old uh, 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 James Harris there, right? Yeah, yeah. But this is no. That was Kamala. Kamala. James Harris. I don't think we covered him in that book. Uh, then also, what's Kamala's he, real name? Um, Kamala Harris. Vice President okay, of the United States. James uh, <laughs> um, And you can also... This, this is just gone AWAR after. I'm sorry. Do you still have any apartment wrestling for people to buy? No, I don't. Uh, I don't. I Well, there's. I have one picture in a drawer here, but never mind. Uh, my wife doesn't know about that part. Um, and she's not a former uh, apartment wrestler. But... Also, well, if you, you go to Wester, when when you guys had that 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 uh, or whoever the guy was that you went to his apartment, and he had the two chicks, and he was what a New York uh, State uh, athletic. No, no, he, he hadn't been. He was one of the editors. Oh, he was uh, an aspiring that New time, York State uh, politician. Ten years later, ten years later, he became a state athletic commissioner. Or yeah, all, all you politicians are the same in New York. They are. They are. You can also go, by the way, to. Uh, BillAfter.com for all the videos that I archived on OneWrestling.com in the past 15 years. A lot of great stuff. Mainly well, interviews. Did you, did you ever think about the hours that you uh, you contemplated uh, 
Complete, whatever the word is. Uh, Compile. Comprise there. Uh, uh, have you ever? I had four strokes, so forgive me. I got I, you. 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 <laughs> terrific. So, uh, all right, uh, Bill. How many hours do you think you've uh, got? To? Since nineteen seventy. Yeah. Wow. Forget it. I flunked math. I couldn't <laughs> even go near there. Couldn't even go near there. You have an actual history, an audio history, and probably a visual history with all the pictures from 1970 to... I do not. They're all owned. I work for the publishing companies. They paid me a weekly salary, medical and dental benefits, and took care of Pro Wrestling Illustrated's archive, owns everything that I did. And I don't regret it at all. I kept a lot of memorabilia, personal photos like the finger book and stuff like that. I have masks from Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio's mask when he lost uh, his match to Dean Malenko, lost his match, mask and then got it back. I've got that. I've got, uh, there's a guy, do you, know, do you guys know who Bud Carson is? No. Bud no, ran a wrestling museum in Allentown, PA. Carson's Wrestling World. I have, I have been there. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So he, he disbanded his operation a couple of years ago and he gave me this part of Actors Alley that you didn't see here. He, this was hand-carved in wood, a Bruno Sammartino statue that he handcrafted out of wood. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. So That's this is wood. More, That's like a wooden, wooden uh, sculpture or statue? Yes. It's a wooden wow. statue. Oh, wait a minute. You know, I put something down here that is gone now that I was going to show you and I can't find it. Oh, well. Uh, over here is my we had a ladder here in the basement i didn't know what to do with it so i'm in 16 independent hall of fame so i call this my ladder of success where's the the says hall of fame oh wait a minute jbl you were in the same class in iowa as me yes sir i was with you i was inducted by a certain mr gerald briscoe yeah right and i got in trouble that night i got uh john got uh Got in trouble. He got hacked. His uh, telephone got hacked that night. Yeah, my phone got really hacked. Did yeah. it really? And then Waterloo Island. Yeah, yeah, my phone got briscoed. <laughs> I had one other piece of business here I wanted to show you that dropped that I cannot find. But the the after, we, we get a great shot of your head. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> comb over. But the day after Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik, we were banned from that match uh he called me that night and he said where are you i said uh watching it on closed circuit this is afterwards and he invited me up to the hotel room and he gave me the headband uh that he that he wore that night and wore on the cover of sports illustrated and i wanted to show it to you and i had it here to show you and it's it's gone nobody leave the house got it where are you? i can't find it i don't know where it is Bill, well, that's my story. All this, what what is your favorite memory of all time? I mean, are you you've seen so many spectacular happenings in, in the world of professional wrestling. One of them has got to stand out as man, I'm glad I was there to see this. It's hard to say because it's I've been through so many generations. It goes by generations, like uh in the 70s, it was Jack and Dory Funk Jr. Uh in the 80s, it was Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. So it goes on from generation, but the one moment, um, God, it's, it's, 
Uh, I don't, I, I, I really can't pinpoint anything. Were any of the crowds like any of the WrestleMania crowds, like you just, you know, like the 93,000 in Pontiac, what did that, did that, that was, I wasn't, that. I wasn't there. We were I not, know you weren't there, but you know, you watched, I mean, that, Oh, that me, was spectacular. me in my lifetime. That kind of stands out as. Yes. Wow. wow. I agree. This, this I agree. Is, when I picked what, the giant, this, up, is wrestling, this is what wrestling should be right here. Yeah. Well, wrestling should, should be i'm going back to old school the matches that i two matches that i mentioned to you the series of matches between jack briscoe and dory Funk jr and rick flair against ricky steamboat was what professional wrestling should be period the end for the greatest yeah. right there yeah and every time not only that but every time i saw jack briscoe against dory Funk jr it was never the same match twice that's what everybody says. And they had that magic chemistry in there that we all strive to get with our opponents. And they, they yeah, just they yeah. had it. And Jack, I mean, you know, Jack, everybody, greatest arm drag of all time. But would that arm drag been the greatest arm drag of all time if somebody else was taking that arm drag beside Dory Funk? Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. He was a perfect foil for, for Jack. They were, they, they just, they just had that chemistry there. They were perfectly made for each other for this. Jack, Jack, and I think in the book, Bill, uh, there's a, there's a quote in there. There's a, there's a passage in there or something that uh, somebody asked Jack what, what he thought was the biggest night of his career. You know what his answer was? No. The night Dory Funk Jr. won the world title from Gene Kinesi because it really? gave guys like him a chance to be an athlete and 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 be a world yeah. champion. He was he was one of my favorites, as you as you know. So, by the way, if you guys ever have me back, because you know I'm very <laughs> well, we also we also did boxing. We better start well. now if we want you back next month. <laughs> no, we also we also uh, did boxing magazines, and I spent many years traveling with Ali. And George Foreman, and see now that's another one. I like you have your a favorite speed. Ali story. I like your speed. I like your style, but your pace so cheap. I won't be back for a while. You got great speed. You got endurance. If you sign to fight me, increase your insurance. You remember when I predicted Sonny Listen's dismemberment? I hit him so hard he forgot where October, November went. So when I tell you, young man, an ant can pull a plow. Don't ask me how. Hitch him up. Awesome. What's what is your favorite all day story? Um, I was on a press tour when he had his uh, uh, Deer Lake training camp, and from New York City, they took about thirty five of us up to the camp. He drove down in a in a car to meet us all, and then he told everyone to get up and. Uh, uh, get back in the bus and come up the hill, except for me. No, why except for me? Puts me in the back seat of his car. Riding up the hill with him, he said, told me he doesn't have a driver's license. He's looking back at me, and he said, you're World Boxing Magazine. I've seen you at the press conferences. Thank you for what you do. That was it. But I have, if you go to YouTube and you put in Bill After interviews Muhammad Ali, there's a 20-minute tape of me interviewing Ali and Howard Cosell during the Inoki press conference, and I had them all to myself, and it's great. 
you got to check that out. You really do. It's awesome. The greatest of all time. I have a photo that I shot of him, but this camera won't reach over there. Of uh, He was coming at me at the training camp going, I'm the greatest of all time. And 90% of the picture is his mouth. Did you guys ever talk wrestling? Yeah, once in a while. Tyson and I talked wrestling. Mike was a a real student of wrestling. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he and I, when we first got together, I didn't know he liked wrestling. And I was doing a photo session with him before he became big for to put on the cover of KO magazine that we also did. And he we started talking and we for some reason we were talking about imitations and he did Dusty Rhodes. And I said, wait a minute. I said, you're a wrestling fan. Yes, I'm a wrestling fan. And we started talking and we started doing wrestling imitations back and forth and back and forth. I bet he had a good dusty one. He did. Tyson was uh, backstage, you know, and, and and he was the baddest man on the planet at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool when he saw Jack Lanza, he was like a little kid. It was a uh, Mr. Lanza. And he went over and set, shook hands with him. And you could tell he just, he was such in his element. He was so happy to be backstage. He was one of the most respectful guys I've ever seen. He'd sit backstage, play dominoes with the guys. Just he nice. Was like a kid back there, wasn't he, John? I mean, What's he, that? He, he was like a kid back there. Somebody That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. By the way, you brought up something at the beginning, Jerry, about <coughs> me inventing the Legends show with JBL. Yeah. No. <clears throat> I'm sorry. The story is Triple H called me because he knew I wanted to get on WWE to do something on on something visual because I love doing that stuff back in the Crockett days and the Kanye days. So he said, contemplating the show just called, um, it wasn't even legends. It was, I, I forgot what they called it. Why don't I come in and do the pilot show? They flew me there. I did one with Dusty, uh, one with uh, Terry Taylor and one with uh, Larry Zabisco and Renee Young at that time. Um, so Michael Cole said he loved it. So he really loved it. He could see the old grizzled reporters sitting at a table with Dusty talking. And they said, Chris Chambers told me they were going to get back to me. They all were very positive and all that. And the next thing I know, I see the JBL Legends show. And I said, dang, that's what they were going to have me do. And I said, I get it. It's not a problem. He's great for this thing. He's terrific. I never even saw the pilot show. They couldn't find the pilot show after you took that thing. That it's in all their junk room somewhere but i remember seeing you at one of the wwe shows in philadelphia and saying do you know that i did the pilot show for that show and you said you'd heard about that but you didn't know and uh, i told you how much i enjoyed what you did with those guys your interviews were excellent they really were yeah well, thank you you I, I, I didn't know that I, I just they all of a sudden they i don't remember they called me i think it was because i'd done a few interviews and then they yeah. called me and asked me about the whole thing i'd didn't know the background that that you had invented the show. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was supposed to be the actually, host. Actually, what happened there, Bill? John told me the story. He heard that you had done it, and he went to, he went to Triple H. He said, "Why you got that old grizzled old veteran doing got it? You. Got you. Totally young, understood. A successful Texan. I can make this show mean something. I, I stabbed him in the back. You did. You did. So you know what yeah. I have to say to you for stabbing me in the back? Thank you. <laughs> You're next. <laughs> Well, Bill, I can't th- I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. I hope you um, had a good time. No, we had a great time. You're you're, you're such a, an integral part 
of the wrestling business. You know, the, the after mags is just it's a it's a huge part. Meltzer of- came up with that. I hated that. I hated it. I said, Dave Meltzer came up with that. I hated it. I used to call him and say, don't call him that. There's Stanley Weston magazines. He said, you're the face of the business. He was Stanley Weston over, over that, over any of that. What's that? Did you get any, he was Stanley Weston on, on everybody. Well, Weston wanted me to be the face of the magazines. He knew, he knew the people in the business had taken to me. And uh, he was very proud. He was very pleased. I miss him very much. He was a mentor. He was my mentor. Bill, what a fascinating life uh, you've had, man. I mean, when when it comes to wrestling knowledge and wrestling history, there are very few people in this business that that can can match your knowledge. Thank you. I don't know, Dave. The great thing about it, you have it all documented, so there's no doubt when you say Yeah, I'm bad with dates when people say, you know, did, can you tell me when Bruno or somebody? I, no, I can't. But I, I rem, I'm a storyteller, as like you couldn't tell. Uh, I'm a storyteller, and uh, I remember all these things. Yeah. You, so next you, time we, you, you still go out to the uh, senior citizens' homes, even though we're one of them now, and, and entertain or what? No, because of COVID, we can't do it. My best friend is. Uh, Paul Big Bear, he's an American Indian. He's six foot eight, 385 pounds. Well, he was six foot six. Uh, and he used to wrestle as a concrete cowboy. And he and I sing and do, we do like a Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis act. I was going to bring you into my karaoke room, but I can't disconnect this. A Native American wrestling as a cowboy? He is the concrete cowboy. Yeah. Concrete cowboy. That, sounds, what I that sounds like a description of Layfield. No, no. Concrete. Oh, I like you Remember that. back in the old days, a stiffy used to. To be concrete. That's was, right. And then that that's right. No, he named himself yeah. after the song. Okay. There was a country music song. Uh, but if you look him up on Facebook, he goes, he's Paul Big Bear. Paul Big Bear. Yeah, look him up. Look him up. Well, Bill, I want to th- I want to thank you. And I also want to tell you that we, we we want you back in, in uh you know sometime. We need to start right now so we can get you on Zoom. <laughs> I, no, no, it's never happened to me before. Thank you, you for that's what they all say. You, 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 and uh, uh, our, our brother Stan Hansen. It took us an hour and a half to talk him on there. Well, we it worked to- every second of it.